defeating the radical left, the Marxists, the anarchists, the agitators, the looters, and people who in many instances have absolutely no clue what they are doing. Welcome back to The River in the Lands. Travis Laver here with Bilal Rafiq, as always. And we have our second ever guest on the podcast. We have Manadu Moose. Mm-hmm. How you doing? Great. How are you doing? Doing great. Mm-hmm. And we're, we had you on. Do you want to maybe like introduce yourself and, and kind of what, what you do and why, why we had you on? Yeah, in a few words, absolutely. I am a caseworker for Indigenous criminal offenders. And I get to work forefront with my community, with my nation, with my people. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, we're just trying to raise awareness of just how, d- d- of just how really fucked up this situation is in Canada mm-hmm. for Indigenous people. Perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we wanted to have you on. I mean, I, I think during the This Is False days, I mm-hmm. wanted to have you on the podcast mm-hmm. and it just never happened. So I remember that. Yeah. So this is, this is me making up for that, <laughs> for moving to Halifax and not doing the thing. But uh, yeah, I figured, so we're going we're gonna to talk about Indigenous incarceration rates among other similar topics today. And, and also, I think, like we said, we want to like always be drawing that line with with what's going on in Palestine and make sure that mm-hmm. we're, we have one foot in that in every episode. So I figured we maybe start there. I know, Bilal, you had some, some updates in terms of what's going on, obviously, with this four-day pause that I think we're in day three of right now. Is that correct? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I... I th- I just want to like reiterate what Travis is saying because I, I do think it's important to talk about other issues in conjunction with Palestine mm-hmm. because oftentimes those parallels and those like synchronicities are very illustrative of what's happening on in in either respective issue right especially when you're talking about something like imperialism or colonialism because there are you know kind of common patterns that you see. And this is a whole thing that we could do an entire like podcast just on the actual like direct relationship between Israeli apartheid and the treatment of black and indigenous peoples in North America. Mm-hmm. Like because there it's not just an indirect or like a pattern or a general trend that we see. There's a very intimate relationship between yeah. imperialist structures here and abroad right we're funding them abroad sort of as a a training ground and and using palestinians in this apartheid state as a testing ground for colonial policies that after exporting and testing we're bringing into our own communities right and there are even parallels to like black lives matter with that where you know the minneapolis police department for instance received training from the israeli occupying forces the actual maneuver that killed george floyd is taught in that training the the sort of neck hold that they had him in so it's it's both a direct and indirect kind of parallel Mm -hmm. that we can make so i guess just like in terms of updates since the last time we've talked about palestine obviously there's a you could call it a ceasefire going around it's it's really a a pause right like they're humanitarian pause mm -hmm. or whatever the language is yeah we're gonna stop killing you for five days (laughs) and during that there's going to be a exchange of hostages sorry i was just like choking on my mouth while i was trying to talk <laughs> <laughs> cannot talk today it's okay it's it's the telemore do it's uh it's, yeah, it's, exactly <laughs> right and i think the the term exchange of hostages is probably a big shock to a lot of people right because 
for, since October 7th, everyone's been talking about these Israeli hostages, but, like, wait, when the fuck did Israel take Palestinian hostages? We, we haven't heard <laughs> yeah. about that yet. So. That hasn't really been brought up. And interesting, too, because the media, I've noticed, has not really been using the term hostages to describe the Palestinians. They've been using the term prisoners. Prisoners, mm. yeah. A very different word. <laughs> very different right. meaning behind it. <laughs> exactly. Well, the implication is that they yeah. have committed something mm-hmm. wrong or illegal, right? Where hostages are innocent. and Yeah, know. exactly. They were just taken, which yeah. is like, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, none of these Pal- uh, Palestinian political prisoners had never committed a crime or anything. But when you actually do some digging into this, you, it, it reveals a very different picture mm-hmm. of you know, political prisoners, including, like, children and, like, Mm -hmm. very young people, like, even 12, 13 years old, being just thrown in jail and ripped away from their homes as a tactic that's used by the occupation to, like, Mm -hmm. intimidate these communities and keep them oppressed. And for those who don't know, like, the the movement for Palestinian political prisoners is, has been a crux of the solidarity movement for decades now. As long as the occupation has existed, the idea of, like, Palestinian prisoners being sort of at the forefront of of our movement and of our demands has been like a a really important crux of that and there are Mm -hmm. entire networks for palestinian uh political prisoner solidarity like semidun that's a great website for people who want to uh look more into this is sub i think it's semidun.net s-a-m-i-d-o-u-n but we'll put it in the uh the show notes yeah i just had a question how many uh, Israeli hostages does Palestine have? I think it was like they, they had around 200 that around they took. Around 200. Yeah. Okay. So compared to the amount of prisoners that Israel had <laughs> of Palestinian people is exponentially different. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say this. Israel doesn't give a fuck about their hostages. They no. wouldn't have done what they did if they gave a single fuck about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they I'm in sorry. fact were killing some of them. This is all face. This is everything yeah. that's yeah. going on is just faces. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were. They, I mean, Absolutely the the, the policy of the IDF is actually to kill their own hostages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. that's actually like a real thing, you know. And and they in, in situations where they where they think that there's no way around it, they mm-hmm. they just they kill everybody. Well, exactly. You know? If they actually cared about the hostages, they would be doing like a tactical like uh just sending in like a special force unit or something to like find these people but instead they're just carpet bombing people yeah. mm-hmm. in full knowledge that you know when you're bombing these so-called Hamas bases you are killing your own people and yeah. does i don't know the actual number cuz it's you like know, scorched earth you know like yeah, exactly like and dozens of them have died and i think the voice that has been like at best like exploited and weaponized and at worst totally ignored is the voices of like the israeli hostages families yeah who are calling for things completely different than what mm-hmm. netanyahu and the idf are calling for and they're just saying like get us the fuck our families back however you have to do that like just get them back we don't care let's do a prisoner exchange let's call a ceasefire and you know the idf policy even when the ceasefire happened right they didn't say much about the actual hostages that they were getting back their whole thing was don't worry this is temporary we're going to resume this as soon as possible so it, it's really clear that you know the 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 hostages are sort of just this inconvenience that they have to yeah. deal with yeah when the real objective is a second nakba yeah exactly yeah and i mean you, you've seen too that this this humanitarian pause has been selective on behalf of the IDF, they have still been 
executing people near borders. Mm-hmm. People people have been going back into you know areas near near the Israeli border to like mm-hmm. see if their homes are still intact or find their bodies of their relatives or whatever mm-hmm. else, thinking that they're safe to do so because there's this humanitarian pause and that they're being mm-hmm. shot. They're being yeah. snipered by oh, yeah. by IDF mm-hmm. rifles. So, and and you know like there's been video this is again this i i don't want to like qualify this with there's proof of this but there's just there's videos mm-hmm. of this happening like this is not something that we're just sort of hearing or speculating mm-hmm. like no there's there's videos of this straight yeah. up happening people right. getting Absolutely. shot well they're also still bombing lebanon yeah. and the west bank the west, the west bank. bank yeah they're bomb- they've been bombing i feel the like west the west bank. bank went up in traffic the last couple of days yeah what i've seen yeah it's gotten more violent yeah for sure yeah 14 year old was murdered either yesterday or today in the sure. West Bank, like straight up executed. Right. There <laughs> must the have been a Hamas base under where he was standing. Right? Oh, yeah. Always. yeah. There's always a Hamas base. Yeah. Right. So just to kind of get into like what this actually looks like, because, you know, again, like it, they're, we're calling the Palestinians like prisoners. Right. But really, they're hostages in a way you could actually argue that like everyone in Gaza is a hostage. You know, it's a it's a concentration camp where 2.3 million people don't have the, the, the freedom of mobility. But, you know, to kind of narrow down in terms of, like, the who we're talking about specifically, like these prisoners that are held in Israeli military prisons or just regular Israeli prisons, this has been an ongoing thing, like I said. I think there were about 5,200 Palestinians in Israeli prisons prior to October 7th. Mm-hmm. 2,200 of them were under something called arbitrary detention, Mm -hmm. which is technically legal under international law. However, there's a lot of really strict stipulations as to how that can be used. Basically, the idea is like, oh, someone's going to shoot up a a place or do a suicide bombing or something, right? You want to detain them before they do that, right? And it's yeah. that that's like the excuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to be in like an emergency or a crisis thing. But right. they just kind of use this all the time. They use this against kids. And what this exactly. Yeah. And what this means is that you're detained without a charge or a trial, mm-hmm. and the evidence against you is actually considered secret. So even if you do have legal right. representation, they don't get to be privy to that information and you're held for periods of like six months at a time there's cases of like rampant sexual and physical abuse in these prisons there's uh withholding of like essential Mm -hmm. medical care Mm -hmm. and it's it's a very frightening thing that Mm -hmm. has been accelerated as a process especially since uh in the last months like I, i don't know if i said earlier like the amount of political prisoners quote-unquote have been doubled since october 7th right Right. so this is going up so that's the one side of it right is this this arbitrary detention the other side is like quote-unquote charging them with something but within israeli military courts that are prosecuting palestinians a Mm -hmm. they usually don't get legal representation b often it's in a language unfamiliar to the people who are charged right they have a 99.7 percent conviction rate so it's you know i don't know how you could say that that's astronomical exactly but so international law on its own is a pretty like it's a strange topic because there's you know there's so many ways that you can 
skirt around these things and a lot of countries don't even hold weight to you know international law as it is and oh actually i wanted to say this too canada was the creator of the peacekeeping corps back mm-hmm. during the pearson years the, right? yeah pearson yeah. years and i'm also like where the fuck is canada right now like if yeah. they're the grandfathers of peacekeeping this should be the number one fucking priority yeah. for those types of things but nothing is happening yeah mm-hmm. well, Can- canada got basically completely out of the peacekeeping game during the Cretchen and paul martin years yes yeah that yeah, was the did. there's a really great book called holding the bullies coat by linda mm-hmm. mcquig who's a, a a journalist where she talks about that she talks about the legacy of peacekeeping that canada had and how it like has completely reversed course in that over the it's last 20 years yeah mm-hmm. certainly but mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, international law has always been kind of like a joke, if we're being real. Yeah. It it's, is. It's political, right? It's 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 selectively applied based on, like, political and socioeconomic, like, yeah. objectives. However, like, I feel like we, when we do this podcast, we often draw on international law just as, mm-hmm. like, a standard. Right. Because I, I feel like, especially with an issue like this, where sources on either side are often attacked and it's like oh it's a palestinian source so it's pro hamas it's an israeli source so it's pro israel like i don't think anyone could argue that like a un rapporteur is like biased exactly or Or, yeah at least that they're they're going to be it's 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 harder to point to them and go oh that's just an arm of this state because they're not exactly you know if anything the un you know, it's probably going to be more pro-Israeli than than an actual objective. Exactly, you know, they totally just, are. But exactly. So even if and so if they're sending in special rapporteurs who are saying like, listen, this is this is genocide. That's what this is. Then mm-hmm. it's obviously what's happening. You know, it's worse exactly. than they're even saying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And the numbers that they have right now are probably not even close to what the numbers actually are. Yeah. Well, and I saw this thing too, and I was trying to find it while you two were talking there. But there's mm-hmm. this this banning of the expression of joy. Have you heard of this thing? No. This is like this is where I was, I was trying to find it. So I, I was it's there is something on Al Jazeera from Ben it's Ben Gaviv that says my quote my instructions are clear there are to be no expressions of joy in the West Bank. Uh, no, expressions and a, no expressions of joy. No expressions of joy. So, oh, so yeah, they banned celebrations. Yeah, of Palestinian the expressions of, of joy to the West Bank. <laughs> yeah. What so, the fuck? Yeah, I mean, and I mean, I guess, I guess to take this in a somewhat positive direction before we move on to like what, what else we want to talk about today is like yesterday. So we're we're speaking here on on Sunday, the the twenty sixth of November. So yesterday on the twenty fifth, one of the largest protests in Canadian history happened in Ottawa. Ottawa, yep. Where over a hundred thousand people gathered on Parliament Hill to demand a ceasefire. Yep. And the, the media is like barely covering it it's so funny to watch them like dance around it and like i didn't see and maybe this has changed in the days or time since but you know if you have one of the largest protests maybe the largest protest in canadian history happening you would think that's a a newsworthy item that might show up on the cbc or some other major news outlets but But i I couldn't find i couldn't find anything on the cbc about it so like I, maybe now there is but the fact that it, more than 24 hours has passed and there hasn't been a story on it is and right. this is why we follow grassroots yeah. campaigns okay <laughs> yeah. you will never get that from <laughs> yeah the media no it's it's absolutely brutal to see that but but i think this 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 speaks to something that that i i think is happening and because we're so inundated with the propaganda of western media mm-hmm. and of our politicians Maybe we maybe people don't know that this is happening, but there has been a sea change in support for Palestine. Mm-hmm. This is it's no longer the type of thing where oh thirty percent 
say they want to they, they you know they support Palestine or whatever it is. It's an overwhelming majority of all Western nations at this point that are not only calling for a ceasefire but calling for the end of, of Israeli occupation and apartheid. And I think that that is a new thing, and I think it's working. Is the other thing mm-hmm. is that. This four-day pause, is, as pathetic as that is for what's needed, mm-hmm. I don't think happens unless there's pressure from the international Absolutely. community. And yeah. I, I think we're seeing that, that these protests where people are getting out in the street and demanding things of their politicians are actually moving the needle in some direction. Maybe not fast enough, but they are moving that needle. I agree. I, mm-hmm. I would just nuance that by saying that I think while that's true in general, another very important reason as to why this ceasefire is happening now is due to internal pressure by people who are even potentially pro-occupation within Israel, as in like the families of the hostages. They're saying like there's a lot of disdain and instability within Netanyahu's regime stemming from issues like prior to this, right? Yeah. So he's thinking like, I have to save my ass as well. So that's just one of one of many elements of this sure, i think yeah. it's mm-hmm. the external pressure but i also wouldn't discount the internal Absolutely. pressure yeah but those things also do go together because i also think israelis through this are waking up and they're seeing like and and this is the whole thing right like anti-colonialism anti-imperialism it works both ways right it's not just liberating the oppressed from the oppressor it's also liberating the oppressor from the oppressed right mm-hmm. because no nation that is oppressing another can be free itself right exactly like the israeli mm-hmm. regime it's built on this brutal military occupation and brutal ethnic cleansing and it's not actually good for the majority of its uh, of its citizens it's good for the war machine you know yeah. it's good for the bureaucrats and those in power but it, it's not good for the average Israeli, you know, especially those who, like, you know, the families of the hostages or the mm-hmm. hostages or anything. And I think people within Israel and around the world are saying, like, yo, this isn't good for anyone. This is right. a nightmare. And how do we get past it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Was there anything else you wanted to say about that before we move on? Just in terms of the prisoners, like, I think this is something we do a whole episode on. Cheers to that's our drinking game. That's our drinking game, yeah. We do a whole episode on it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I will just quote one quote from a Zero article. Actually, no, no. from, From the Save the Children's Country director in the Occupied Palestinian Territories, which was quoted in Al Jazeera, we said... Palestinian children are the only ones in the world to experience systematic prosecution in military courts. And I think if if that's a starting point for anyone looking into this, like start with that, start with Save the Children and look into what Mm -hmm. Palestinian political prisoner solidarity organizations are saying. Mm Because guys, this goes so deep. Like there's so much to this that just gets more and more horrific. Mm -hmm. I've been reading about it all day and I'm just like, fuck like this is not it's been a a shit day because of that i'll say that but anyway yeah hate when you ruin your day by doing research yeah, <laughs> it fucking works. That's what this yeah. podcast is meant for. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot to tell yeah. you that. Below when we started this podcast, your mental health's going to go down. Huh? Oh, oh yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's been a shit show since October seventh, yeah. so we're good anyway. Yeah, no, for sure. If anything, this feels empowering to be able to talk about it and, and, and all it that. is definitely empowering to be knowledgeable and to be able to speak on it. Mm-hmm. But it still, nonetheless, is like holy shit. Like, yeah. shit, like it's bad. This is not. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. It, it's hard to move. And just being aware of it is painful. Imagine going through it. Right. Yeah. It's like, like I'm finding it. It's hard sometimes to just move through the world as normal, knowing that there's like a full on genocide happening. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And how that's not the being main streamed topic. in real time. Yeah, like, being streamed in real time. Like we can watch it anytime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that has. I mean, for me, never happened before. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, and I mean, they, there's so many great journalists on the ground in Palestine who are, are who are that doing, are alive, yeah. that are alive. Some of a lot of them have died, but there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of independent journalists in Palestine that are even just having a TikTok channel and just like walking around in in besieged cities mm. and and, right. and documenting what's happening. And, yeah, and they're so, being thrown yeah. in prison too. Yeah, thirty-seven yeah. since October seventh have been put in administrative detention for reporting on yeah. what's happening. So when did when did the, the, the Arab Spring happen? That was... 2011. 20, 20, yeah. yeah. Okay, so 2011. So this is, I mean, honestly, it's just so crazy how this has, you know, just continued on. But mm-hmm. that was just such a huge thing to happen mm-hmm. there. And then now, just, oh my goodness, it's just... Yeah, for sure. I think it showed to the world that just, like, Middle Eastern people are humans and that and yeah. there's always they want to like, be free like everybody else exactly. Weird. Exactly. <laughs> there's this myth that like we love our dictators and we just love women not having rights and we hate democracy <laughs> and then you have a massive wide sweeping movement that was started because one dude self-immolated in tunisia and mm-hmm. then multiple regimes fell yeah. right and it's 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 crazy how how all these things tie together but mm-hmm. clearly there is a desire for everyone in the Middle East to have democracy and have more say in their mm-hmm. conditions, even within Israel, right? I think yeah. people on the left often mistakenly, mm-hmm. I think inadvertently, you know, paint like Israeli people as a monolith who like all agree with the occupation or mm-hmm. all have common interests with the occupation. Right. I know I'm beating a course. I always make this point, but yeah. they That's don't by and large, right? There were, yeah. there were protests in Israel during the Arab Spring under the slogan of walk like an Egyptian, right? We mm-hmm. should fight our regimes the same way that these people were. It was called like the Israeli summer or something like that. Yeah. But like, you know, it's not this like Arab or Jew thing. It's it's workers against imperialism and for mm-hmm. yeah. democracy. That's what the Middle Eastern struggle is mm-hmm. defined by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So why don't we uh, move on then? So, so Manody, we had you on today. To, yes. I, and I think this is this is exactly what we need to be doing is drawing the parallels between what's going on right now in Israel and Palestine to what has historically happened here in Canada and in yeah. North America, but also what continues to happen mm-hmm. and what coloni- colonization and imperialism looks like in 2023 in North America right. and, and what has led us to here. So we wanted to bring you on. Mm-hmm. So I a few weeks ago, I had read a CBC article that was talking about Ivan Zinger, mm-hmm. who came out. He's a, oh, what do I have it here? He's the, he's the he's correctional, correctional investigator of Canada. And, and he released a report a few weeks ago that basically said, Hey, this whole uh, this whole indigenous incarceration rate thing that we cared so much about ten years ago that we were going to address ten years ago, it's gotten mm-hmm. so much worse in the last ten years. Yes. And the numbers that he he brought up, so the Spirit Matters report, which came out in twenty thirteen, which was sort of the most recent, you know, red flag being raised about indigenous incarceration at mm-hmm. that time, said that in spite of the fact that only four percent of Canadians are indigenous, twenty five percent of of uh, correctional inmates are indigenous. Mm-hmm. And that number has gone up to 32% yes. in the last 10 years. So so when I saw that, I immediately thought, like, we have to have someone on to talk about this. And mm-hmm. I wanted to bring you on because I know that this is something that, 
you know, you do through your work and through your sort of day to day life, but also something you care about a lot. So I, I think what we're seeing in Palestine right now is just a version of what happened here you know, you know, a few hundred years ago and, and, and a process that lasted several mm -hmm. hundred years and that continues. And so, so yeah, let's, let's get into that a little bit. I guess, first of all, like what, what is your reaction to that? To this? To the, to the Zinger report. Oh, to the Zinger report. To me, I was kind of like, no shit. <laughs> I've been watching this for years and years and years. I knew I was going to be working in this when I was 19 years old. Mm -hmm. I was aware of it at a very young age and I've been keeping up with it the entire time. And I've been working in this line right in this uh, field of work for six years now. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I wanted to mention too was the language that's being used against Palestinian people and indigenous people mm -hmm. are very parallel. So we are, so the uh, oppressors want to dehumanize, right? That's the mm -hmm. first thing that they do because they want everybody to see them as animals, as not human, as this, as that. And that is somehow, you know, allowing them to do the horrible fucking things that they are doing, mm -hmm. right? So this happened to indigenous people. We weren't allowed to travel outside of the res. We had passports. We didn't have the right to vote. Native women didn't have the right to vote until the 70s. <laughs> okay, so this was my mother's generation. Yeah. Right? This is how fucking recent this is. This mm -hmm. is not new. This has been happening for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. The last school closed down in 96. Mm -hmm. Last residential school. Last residential yeah. school closed down in 96. So this is not this is not old news. Historically, for something to change completely, it takes about 200 years. Okay? So this is an ongoing genocide. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, for Palestine, we're seeing a lot of similar things happen. Our genocide was cultural, but also some of it was brutal killing, mm -hmm. which Canada does not talk about. Yeah. But we do have the numbers. We're seeing, you know, more kids being found on, uh, like, in mass graves. And the thing is, it's the best kept secret, but it was always known to us, right? We always knew. We yeah. always knew because entire families were wiped out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I went to one of those former schools and I knew about it from when I was a child. Yeah. Okay. So these are things that typically, you know, the average Canadian wouldn't know about, but Indigenous people are hyper aware of it. And this is the reason why we see so many Indigenous people in prisons because we are dealing with the backlash of that crazy, you know, uh, that genocide that we have had to deal with and are continuing to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like an important thing because I know me growing up in central Ontario mm -hmm. and, and you know, I, we didn't learn about the shit in school. You know what I mean? Like it was no. not something that was taught to us. And I think like that sort of ignorance of, of, of white folks in this country in terms of like, we, we, it was bred into us. It was intentional. We mm -hmm. weren't we weren't supposed to know about it, right? And and it was that was information that was deliberately kept from us by our institutions because I would imagine that if most people knew about it, they'd be pretty upset about oh, it, yeah, right? Fucking mortified. Exactly, and and because most people are fundamentally good, and and you know, and I think that hearing about these things is 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 going to spark something, and that's why when 
when we started to hear about these numbers of kids that were being found on former residential school grounds, mm-hmm. it was shocking for a lot of white Canadians to be like, oh yes. my God, it's, it's, this is, this really happened. Even though I think we all kind of knew it probably happened, you know, or like we all knew that something bad had happened. You know, I, I grew well, up knowing that it was bad, you know, 4%. That says it right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, 4% of the population yeah. in Canada is Indigenous, which is, I mean, and again, related back to Israel-Palestine, what do you think is going to happen to Palestinian people if this genocide continues, exactly. right? It's already happening. Mm-hmm. It's already gone from, you know, Palestinian folks representing the vast majority down to a minority, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it, it's just, that's, that's what it is. It's about not necessarily wiping every single person off the planet, Mm-mm. but about making those numbers so low that we don't think about it. Right. And so that they're not a threat. And so they're not a threat. Yeah. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. So as soon as pretty much, so it, indigenous people at this point are not a threat to Canada. We can't really generate, you know, such a huge resistance to them that it would cause them problems. It just wouldn't because we're so separated. Honestly, a lot of us are still on the res. Yeah. Like I'm not, there's a lot of urban, but the thing is like, we're, you know, this was a very successful genocide. Yeah. It was a successful thing, right? Mm-hmm. So now, now what? Like, where are we now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's where these the things like mm-hmm. the Zinger Report really mm-hmm. bring into sharp focus what's been happening since residential schools have closed, mm-hmm. right? It, you know, we hear about it all the time in the U.S. where we went from, you know, of slavery of black folks to incarceration of black folks, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that's happening here in Canada. You know, where, where it's like, okay, so residential schools are, are we now know that's a bad thing and we're not going to do that anymore. We're, mm-hmm. you know, we're not doing that. So, you know, how do we control the indigenous population? And we incarcerate them at alarming rates. The exactly. fact that one in three prisoners in Canada is indigenous. Yeah. And that's, that's the Canadian rate. Yeah. There's provincial rates that are crazily higher than that. Yes. Yeah, so the prairies are exponentially higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say... Like for the 12 to 14 percent of the population, it's like between 60 and 80 percent of the present population. So yeah, it's absolutely insane. But the general rate I think is 70 percent higher than the national rate. Yeah. Okay, so that that's still like that is just phenomenally high. Like yeah. when I first learned about this, I was like, that's got to be false. Like that doesn't make sense. But no, it's real. I've yeah. I've seen it. It's definitely happening right what i find most disgusting and and this is the same with Mm -hmm. like black folks in the u.s Mm -hmm. what is it's like the 1350 thing that they talk about 13 percent of the population 50 percent of crime and uh, however percent of incarceration like i feel like this is often or these statistics are often used by like racists and by the right wing to sort of like just paint entire communities Mm -hmm. in a certain way when in reality like when you see a when when you see a a statistic like that mm-hmm. your first thought should not be oh my god what's wrong with these people your first your first thought should be why the fuck how do, how do we get here right mm-hmm. what what are the roots of this and you know it's not an accident that the groups that you know were historically uh disadvantaged in mm-hmm. these ways that you know white people cannot even begin to understand 
are are, are seeing things like this and it's, it's it's such a direct continuation of it in in every way hi cam mm-hmm. cam just entered oh, the chat cam, cam has entered the chat hi cam Whoa, cam you're still a member of this podcast look at that yeah <laughs> cam, believe it or not is part of the podcast so <laughs> do you want do you want a mic <laughs> no no okay okay just, just here. anyway hey buddy what's going on <laughs> yeah anyway i was just saying i was i was making a couple points i think Mm -hmm. the one is you know like how people abuse and weaponize these things for like openly racist and nefarious reasons yeah and saying words like black on black crime yeah Yeah. exactly again it's the language of the oppressors that's just what it is and it's just to generate hatred towards you know black people brown people yeah so i know that the question people are going to have for if they hear if this is the first time you're they're hearing these numbers and and realizing how astounding they are even for people who probably i think most people who are listening to this probably haven't had an idea that incarceration rates among indigenous people were higher but how much higher i don't know that they, that yeah. they knew so i guess the, the question that people are going to have is why and mm-hmm. you know yes racism we know that but like we know that yeah but what, what is the Same. like are there institutional reasons that could be pointed to the residential school system is the like this is where this is where everything went horribly wrong right because you're stripping people from their cultures stripping people from their families their languages their communities everything right this is breaking an entire an entire culture and entire people Mm -hmm. right they're being told you know you're fucking wild animals you're like you're worthless unless you submit to this yeah you know the white man's burden or what what have you (laughs) yeah but yeah like that's where this started but then once these started closing down you know then you know there was still an an indian problem Mm -hmm. as this was actually referred to that was actually referred to this was actually referred to yes yeah and you know they were just criminalized and then like I feel like the foster care system is pretty well the same rate as the prison system. Don't quote me on that because I did not look it up. But <laughs> I know that the that the foster care system is full of indigenous children. Yep. So we're seeing like like extremely d- disproportionate rates in the foster care system as well as the prison system because as soon as these schools closed, they got funneled directly into these other yeah. places where they're still being you know institutionalized yeah and why can't i think of the word right now well colonized i should say right they're being assimilated in the worst way Mm -hmm. because they're being put into these systems where they don't belong but it's also in the white colonial system Right, And so we're seeing astronomical rates in both of these places, as well as others. And I mean, we could we could have a whole podcast just about, Get the strings out. you know, that, right? Like the foster yeah. care system. But right. yeah, so for us, we we like we all know why. Yeah. Um, and it comes from the schools. But, you know, where were they going to put us once the school closed? Yeah. And That's you're still it. talking about a population that is heavily yes. immiserated, right? And people yes, who are absolutely. forced into like poverty, heavily. forced into living on resi- on reservations and yes. and and when you do that to a people as we've seen again, we make that that parallel to Palestine when you when you put people in 
situations where there's no escape, where there's no way out, where their mm-hmm. lives are immiserated, they might not act in ways that we in the West and white people approve of, mm-hmm. right? And and so we see the same thing with homeless populations, right? You know, when, when folks are downtown and they're having a rough time and they're having a mental health crisis in the middle mm-hmm. of the street and that kind of thing, where people point to them and go, oh, are these crazy people. It's like, yeah, but we've put people in a position where they, yeah. they have little other choice. And so... Since the 80s, there was yeah. really nothing. Exactly. And, and you know, taking, taking people away from their communities, taking people away from their cultures, like you're mm-hmm. saying, like this has an effect on people, right? Yeah. This, this has a, a demonstrable effect on people, which, which ends up leading to them, you know, having to make different choices than the standard middle-class yes. white person would have to make. Yeah, and just, like, try to imagine living in a certain way your entire life, like, being able to hunt fish and trap and, like, whatever, with your family, and then all of a sudden, your land's taken away. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you can't have powwows, you can't have ceremony, you can't have mm-hmm. anything that helps you, you know, be who you are. This is this was the lifestyle that was absolutely ripped away. So, I mean, and I know, too, like, we are bringing some of this back. And some families, luckily, held on to those ceremonies and those things. So, I mean, for any indigenous listeners to this i just really suggest you know connecting to your community and trying to learn some of that ancestral knowledge that was lost and unfortunately it was lost for me too like i don't know my language Mm -hmm. i'm just starting to get back into ceremony i got my spirit name this year you know yeah it's just about reconnecting and trying to you know find that missing piece because a lot of these people are so separate from their cultures and from their identities that they are resorting to substance use Mm -hmm. and crime Mm -hmm. in a Canadian context. But again, this is all colonial and this wasn't something that ever should have happened to us. Yeah. But here we are. Well, and the vast majority of the prison population in Canada, regardless of mm-hmm. race, is in is in prison when they don't need to be. Right? This is this is one of the things that Absolutely. that Canada is one of the most over incarcerated countries in the entire world. Second, I think. Second, yeah, second most behind the U.S. Yeah. Right? Yeah, uh, next to the U.S. Talk about like North Korea. Not something China. to toot our horn about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, you know, it's it's, and I think that's an important aspect of this too. Is that when we're talking about lowering indigenous incarceration rates we should also mm-hmm. be talking about lowering incarceration rates full stop because this full is stop, yes this is this is a problem that we have in capitalist societies that we're putting people in prison mm-hmm. who do not belong there you know yes. and 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 so yeah like these i don't know these these things are are so like easy to paper over and say well you know if people don't commit crimes then they won't go to prison but it's just wow. never that simple right and like well i never thought of that yeah before. weird yeah <laughs> yeah so like Shut so like up. our indigenous people <laughs> indigenous people are just more what naturally you know criminal mindset yeah. people like obviously not like right. there's something else happening here like, look right? at the conditions they live in right? yeah overall mm-hmm. capitalism does require a hyper exploited layer of the population in order to make like the so-called middle classes or the mm-hmm. working class in general the white working class feel more or identify more with the white ruling class and the bourgeoisie and they do this based on things like race and skin color because it's a lot mm-hmm. harder to justify this like sub proletariat mm-hmm. working class whatever you want to call it like that extra exploited layer when they look like the average person right Right. if you're in like a a white workplace 
and you have someone that looks like you who is being fucked over extra it's a lot easier to like spell out these divides i feel like when you use something like racism and when you bring culture into it and when you bring in all these disgusting tropes about indigenous people and how you know as a result of their culture and lack of quote-unquote civilization as these Mm -hmm. people would put it to, mm-hmm. in order to justify these things right yeah and that's why i think like the the cultural aspect of this and the cultural genocide is related to like the economic condition that we're seeing and you know just the the need to like mm-hmm. proletarianize everyone and force them into like wage labor yeah. rather than you know more traditional modes of production that are paired with you know ancestral culture and mm-hmm. you know just uh, non-capitalist ways of existing yeah because like when you have these alternatives you know other things are possible and i i feel like i'm rambling and just saying a bunch of different things but no i think it's important <laughs> it's an important point right and like Stuart hall is famous for saying he's the british cultural studies professor and philosopher in the early 80s and into the 90s but he's got that quote where race is the modality in which class is lived right yes it's much easier to point out who belongs in a certain class that their skin color is different or if mm-hmm. they, they have different physical characteristics that can be pointed to, right? And so, you know, that's that's where this stuff comes from. It right? is exactly where it mm-hmm. comes from, yes. Yeah, and it's exactly. the same thing in yes. Gaza, actually. Yes, like, so. many Palestinians in the West Bank of Gaza work within Israel, right? And they, they cross the military checkpoint or they cross the border every day to get the shittiest jobs and get paid uh-huh. the worst. And mm-hmm. part of that is, like, they don't have control over their fisheries or anything. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. traditional. They're, they're all groves are burnt down and their traditional way of life isn't accessible to them anyway so they're forced into israel to be hyper exploited and that as a result is a way of preventing solidarity or class solidarity among Mm -hmm. israelis as well because they're like oh at least we're not you know we might have our complaints but at least we're not like these guys these guys like they're we're we're up here they're down there we're closer to to our ruling class Mm-hmm. So I do just want to segue in with something positive because mm-hmm. this is a very depressing topic. But <laughs> we're used to it. I mean, where was it in the West Coast? I did not look this up, but I remember this happening because it was on TV, and it was <laughs> like it was all over. But that fishing compound in the East Coast was it New Brunswick? Was it Nova yeah, Scotia? Yeah, Nova Scotia. Mc, it was in Nova Mac-Mac. Scotia. Yeah. yeah, where all of the white fishermen burned yep. the compound. Yep. Because yeah. They were yeah. all pissed off at the natives. Something we covered in this false days, actually. Oh, yeah. perfect. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So then yeah, the natives bought it and then employed all those men. Yeah. Like, holy fuck. That was my, like, <laughs> that was like the best week ever. I was just like, man, what a win. Like, yeah. that just made me feel so good. Yeah, for sure. But just like, oh, see, we, we need more of this. Well, and that's the thing, too. I think this this brings the other important fact of, of why Indigenous folks, I mean, why the genocide occurred in the first place, right? Because mm-hmm. Indigenous ways of life, for the most part, and again, we're talking mm-hmm. about, obviously, a vast array of different cultures and nations that yeah. did things very differently. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Christianity. But, like, that Indigenous ways of life did not fit in with the capitalist mode of production. They did not and do not, right? And so they had to be mm-hmm. eliminated because if you start giving people options and we saw this like there's you know the french revolution the thing that's like you know said to be the end of feudalism in europe was like predominantly inspired by the indigenous critique right Mm -hmm. of an indigenous people looking at european culture and going what the fuck are you idiots doing over there absolutely and 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 that's dangerous right if you if people are living in a different way than they're told they have to live that's a dangerous thing i remember one of my profs back when i was at Algoma U saying white people love straight lines because 
like native people use the land in ways that it makes sense and mm -hmm. you know like who has a like need for it or whatever but as soon as people put like all these borders in they're like <coughs> like this is my land and this is our land and this is whatever indigenous people don't work like that they're kind of like they you know they have like practices and like utility for things mm -hmm. whereas you know the Food colonizers forests, come in and instance, yeah, yeah like i mean ownership on its own yeah wasn't a fucking concept mm -hmm. like not really it mm -hmm. was just like who's using this land at this time mm -hmm. whatever and then i love people just coming into the comments like fucking native tribes were all like savages and they all killed each other <laughs> and all blah 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 blah. and i'm like well listen like that was not something that you guys have to worry about like this was something and honestly probably a lot more civil than a lot of the shit we're seeing right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I said, there's there's a vast array of, of indigenous nations that populated mm -hmm. this this mm -hmm. this continent, right? It wasn't mm -hmm. like, and they all had different cultures. Yes. They all had different ways of living. If you mm -hmm. look you know? at the map, like somebody made like this, whatever, like a like a fake map, but of where these nations resided, and it is so fluid. It is yeah. like mm -hmm. all, all over, over the place, place yeah. right? So yeah, I mean, that white pe white people love straight lines is a great. Yeah, it's such a good line. Because you think about it, even the in terms of agriculture, like I was saying, like what are yeah. what are what what do white people into they're agriculture? It's like all these straight lines of corn and straight lines of beans or whatever else they're growing. Whereas like mm -hmm. you know, indigenous folks employed food forests, which are now yes. sort of being or the proposed. three sisters, or the three like sisters, where yeah. these crops support each other exactly, right? and like just more intelligently using the land in a way that makes sense and is sustainable rather than mm -hmm. for the maximization of profit. Right? Yes, mm -hmm. I know. Thinking generations yeah. ahead rather than yeah. Seven uh, generations ahead, specifically. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Rather than in terms of like profit quarters, mm -hmm. and that 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 has such huge implications just on everything, especially like when we're having conversations about like the environment and like whether capitalism itself is going to be like a a mode of production or an economic system that is able to like navigate humanity surviving the climate catastrophe. We need to be having these conversations, but mm -hmm. like planning the economy mm -hmm. and whether we're going to be using our resources in a, in the sense of like stewardship and thinking forward or who can make the most money now right because mm -hmm. it's it's just not working anymore and there's a reason was, why like but... as you said like the, the indigenous critique and even mm -hmm. people like marx and lenin looked mm -hmm. at indigenous north america and at african civilizations yeah as as a model as to like what a post-capitalist world can and should look like mm -hmm. because it just makes more sense right interesting that you know africans and indigenous north americans are the two groups that mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. interesting that those are the two the Fucking two groups miles like, ahead. Miles yeah exactly right. and it's weird how those are the two groups are most prominently crushed mm -hmm. by imperialism and capitalism weird i wonder if there's a coincidence there right exactly right and 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 again we see that manifestation today to bring it back mm -hmm. to what we're talking about in incarceration rates right mm -hmm. Like this, this is the manifestation so many years later. And because we live in this world where we are generally ignorant of history, right? Where we're not really thinking about these things in this way, it's easy for us to go, well, these are just savages. These are just people mm -hmm. who don't know how to assimilate into civilized culture. And so, yes, they're going to be incarcerated more because yeah. that's what they deserve, you know? And again, it all just goes back to the fear of the other and all these things. Mm -hmm. And it's just, yeah, I mean, if you study it, if you read 
just a little bit. It's really not hard to connect the dots and figure out what exactly is going on, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. But on a lighter note, we are in Canada starting to introduce Indigenous Peoples Courts, mm-hmm. which I don't know the total number of the ones in Canada, but I know there's, I think there's 20 open in Ontario. And we are hopeful for one here where we are at now in Windsor. Yeah, like I don't want to sound like a SoundCloud rapper, but like big things coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's probably going to happen within the next couple of years. But honestly, like smaller cities are ahead of us in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So this place specifically has been pretty, uh, yeah, they're kind of slacking on that. On that. Yeah. Work. So since, since I've been here, we've been trying to like generate some sort of attention towards this and now there is a justice committee and we are working towards this mm-hmm. okay so that's yeah. at least happening i'm not really sure if it's going to improve these incarceration rates that's something that we're gonna have to you know wait and see yeah you right. know whether these things really are effective because what we're trying to do is put people into healing lodges yeah. and into like land-based therapy instead of in prison mm-hmm. but in order to do that we need funding we need recognition we need so many resources to try and undo some of this shit but if things keep going the way that they're going that's never going to happen it's just going to get worse you know there's going to be another watchdog report fucking 10 years from now yep. and they're going to be like oh it's 50 percent yep. you know because we as much as we are you know for 4.5 percent of the population something around there we are the fastest growing that's true actually yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was only three percent, I think, back. It was not that right. long ago. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah. right. I, I was actually just like, I'm glad you mentioned the IPCs. Yes, because I was just on a panel, I think last week or the week before, at the law school for harm reduction, the, okay. the harm reduction group at the law school, and there was a justice from, I forget which city, somewhere, somewhere in northern Ontario who was presided over one of these IPCs. And there were actually people on the panel with us who had been through that system. And one of the questions that was asked was how that being in like a a colonial system Mm -hmm. where their their lawyer was white and where, you know, the judge sits on the pedestal up Mm -hmm. there and they're down here and stuff, how that system was versus the IPC system, which was like their... You know, they're sitting in a circle. Everyone's on the same level. They don't refer to you as, like, the accused. You're just, mm-hmm. your your name, your family's mm-hmm. there. And mm-hmm. where you have a conversation, more so, but, like, okay. And just approaching it from a more empathetic yes. point of view. And I thought that was really interesting to just, because I, I wasn't aware that this alternative even existed before yeah. I sat next to this judge on a panel. And I was learning about it in, like, real time. Yeah. Which is, like, my own ignorance, right? But at the same time, I'm, like... I think that's extremely important, right? But on another hand, I also think that, like, just generally, like, jobs, housing, healthcare, more affordable or if not free education, mm-hmm. all these things also play a huge role into this mm-hmm. beyond just, like, once they're in that system and once people have, whether they have or not committed a crime, but once they're in that system, how that system should look versus kind of working more towards getting rid of the roots as to why people end up in in these things in the first place mm-hmm. and that's where i think it it also has to you know be a part of just you know anti-capitalism and just like yeah you know just better mm-hmm. conditions for for everyone and especially 
especially indigenous folks, right? Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. well, actually, in the Zinger report, we have been, which I already knew this, but we experience, we experience more police brutality, yeah. use of force, the use of solitary. There's way more indigenous people in maximum security. I know that. And then also in prisons, there's a higher rate of suicide. Among indigenous Among folks. indigenous people, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, those are just some, you know, stats to think about because what that's else? all just horrific things. And it, it does all mm-hmm. stem from racism and from yeah. everything we've been talking about. Right. And I was going to bring it back to the police mm-hmm. because that's the other the other aspect of this that we haven't really mm-hmm. touched on yet is that you know, police brutality is a problem in Canada for all races. Police yes. are out of control. <laughs> like, and we know this. We, yes. we, we saw that, obviously, but, during yeah. the Black Lives Matter protests, that really bringing the highlight of that, even in Canada, because it was that was mainly an American thing, but I'm mm-hmm. sort of peeling back the onion in Canada. It's no better right. here. Especially in Windsor. Spe- one yeah, of the worst yeah. rates of, for instance, like sexual assaults mm-hmm. within the yeah. Windsor police force and all these oh, things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then there's things like Starlight stories. Tours, right? Where, where you know, like... Police in the prairies. In the prairies, yeah, it's yeah. happened here too. I've heard, yeah. I heard it credibly from people here who who have experienced it. You know, yeah. where, where police basically the, the practice of starlight tours. People aren't familiar is where if someone you know shows up, like a, say an indigenous person shows up drunk somewhere and in public, and rather than take them to jail or or, or do whatever with them, mm-hmm. they will put them in their car, drive them out to the wilderness, several hundred, like even a hundred or more kilometers outside of a city, and leave them there mm-hmm. to figure out their way back to the city oftentimes leading to like very severe conditions of frostbite in the wintertime or possible death, people going missing and never returning. Oh yeah. And this is like a common practice amongst prairie police officers and does again, happens here in Windsor. Like I know people who've had this happen to them where they're driven out past, you know, the town of Essex and dropped in a farmer's field and said, find your way back. Wow. So like that, like that shit does happen, you know? Holy shit. And, and, you know these these things this is again is is when we wonder like well why do why do indigenous folks get arrested more often well yeah. because the police have more of a target on them yeah right? that's yeah. that's mm-hmm. the other thing of it. i was in saskatoon at one point for school mm-hmm. and i got carted twice okay just by cops <laughs> like just like hey can i see your id i'm like no like fuck off and then they're basically like oh like what's your like, what are you trying to hide? And I'm like, listen, I'm here in law school, and this is an arbitrary stop, and then you just fucking yeah. Took off, I mean, once you once right? you know your rights, yeah. they they jet the other fucking <laughs> like, direction. Oh shit, bye. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, just me myself, and I just had like, like a sweater on with like a gym bag because I was going to fucking Pilates, but <laughs> they're probably like fucking Andy, I probably got some drugs in that bag or whatever. <laughs> And I'm just like, get out of my face. Like, I know, like, I'm too aware of you. Yeah. You know? And, and I it's just, such a problem. I will start shit on fire. So don't <laughs> fuck with me. Yeah. But, like, the amount of people that don't know their rights yeah. and are subject to these arbitrary stops and this bullshit, it, like, it happened to me twice during my, like, four months there. Yeah. So I can't even imagine what some of these other people are. Yeah going through with the cops especially if you're living on the street or that's you know, what like, i'm saying like, geez, like and i'm a pretty compounds. like prim and proper native you know what i mean like yeah just 
absolutely yeah, bonkers. Yeah, you're, you're going to Pilates. I'm going to Pilates, <laughs> yeah. for fuck's sake. Like, get it. <laughs> it can't be much more white of an activity. Like, to be honest, like, yeah. Let's be honest here. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I mean, like, it... And this is this is something that I know we're going to return to a lot on this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. over over the years that we're mm-hmm. that we're doing it. I'm sure that we, it's something that we're gonna we're gonna come back to a lot because it, it's. I think that there's more awareness around this kind of stuff now than there was, you know, say 10, 20, 30 years ago in a lot of ways. And in, in the mm-hmm. sense that like people like my parents are talking about it in, right. a, in a way that they never were when I was growing up. You know, it wasn't a thing we talked about. Yeah. That that white folks are becoming at least a little more aware of it. Whether or not that leads to changing anything is who knows. Not yeah. if you don't change the systems that underlie things, but it is at least encouraging that it's harder to avoid talking about these right. things. Well, yeah. I mean, the first step is really education about this Mm -hmm. because i mean people who aren't subjected to it aren't going to know how to deal with it yeah so you know Mm -hmm. put some money into some you know some education even yeah i don't know i feel like i haven't really looked into it too much but the curriculum now i feel like is starting to include Mm -hmm. these things which is to me to me that's the first step for children to be aware of it much mm-hmm. to Doug Ford's chagrin, because he didn't try to remove it. Wasn't that he like, did try to remove some yeah, probably a bunch of stuff. Probably. Same thing's that. happening in the States, by right. the way. Yeah. Like, I remember like a couple, not a couple years, when I was in high school, like towards the end, like we were having conversations about this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. since we're thinking back to like earlier in grade school and high school, we were taught like, oh, the Thanksgiving myth and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But like, I think by grade 12, I was taking like history of genocide and we were talking about like Palestine and we were talking about the indigenous genocide and ongoing stuff and all that mm-hmm. and it's like i think just overall like there is a shift in the consciousness of people yeah. that's very profound yeah. and it's like it's not ever isolated to like one given issue like one example is like i don't know like i grew up in like a more muslim and arab community in windsor mm-hmm. right and now all of a sudden i think like with the stuff going on in palestine simultaneously to like discussions about residential schools there's a, like a lot of a lot more cross solid solidarity yeah. and like mm-hmm. like all these like old arabs i know who like don't pay attention to anything here right like they're just doing their thing they're like all about indigenous issues now because mm-hmm. they they see it's like oh it's the same thing here like we're yeah. we're the israelis here and yeah those I are mean, the palestinians yes. and it's like it's very the same dynamic cool. yeah a lot of rally, a lot of palestinian rallies are starting off with like with indigenous prayers and uh, yeah like and i will tell you that majority of us who are like relatively socially conscious obviously are pro-palestine yeah you know? mm-hmm. like That's we're just surprising. like we are <laughs> we fucking get it yeah like we're right here with you absolutely yeah so. yeah that, that solidarity like like i mentioned in other episodes too like the solidarity between irish folks and mm-hmm. indigenous canadians and palestinians and how there's like mm-hmm. this like people who have been through this as a people get it and a lot mm-hmm. though they're much more willing to not like just inherently get it right because it's a part of their mm-hmm. own story right right and you can't stop one without the other like i don't we can't have conversations about like indigenous issues in canada without understanding like the whole imperialist project and how it's not isolated here right at the same time we can't have conversations about palestine in a country built on imperialism and colonialism without Mm -hmm. addressing it here at home so it's it's the same struggle well yeah yeah, to them like this this type of conversation is dangerous yeah well in canada 
and Canada and Israel are, are you know appropriate bed buddies, right? Because mm-hmm. it's the same project, you know. Yeah, it's so no 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 question Best that Canada is going to be on the side of of the Israelis because they, again they would, it would yeah. if if Canada suddenly came out as a country and started being the most pro Palestine country in the Western mm-hmm. world questions would be raised about yeah. like yeah just like, you know, well, well if, if you're if that's true if you're yeah if you're like if you're against this then what did you what did you do yeah what about to yourself? your own yeah you know mm-hmm. it would force us to have a real conversation about exactly and reparations being paid which yeah. by the way is starting to happen oh really i'm seeing yeah. some reparations being paid the Robinson Huron Treaty, they just settled for like two b- b- billion dollars. Oh, really? Yeah. So, oh. I don't know how well that's going to hold up. Yeah. But as far as I know, some reparations are are finally being paid. But mm. at the same time, too little, too late. Like right. this is, this is something that should have happened, and we've been screaming it for years. Just yeah. like okay, yes, you may reside on our land. We're signing these treaties forcefully. Yeah. Forcibly being signed. Okay? My treaty payments every year are $6. <laughs> okay? So... You can get, you can get like, a chocolate bar for that. Like, Damn. that's literally a Trailer Park Boys <laughs> episode. Like, I will give you $5 to fuck off. <laughs> Yeah. That's basically what Canada's doing to indigenous people. With inflation, people. it's six bucks. It's six yeah. bucks. It's six yeah. bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's six true. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's like I say all the time that you know, Canada's not a real country, right? Like, it's, it's, this is, Canada is the colonial project and the elimination of, of mm-hmm. sovereign nations. And, you know, those nations are still sovereign. They're still here yes. and they're still sovereign nations. Uh, yes. yes. And, and we need to take that seriously. And, like, and, you know, I, I challenge my more conservative white friends all the time and say mm-hmm. like listen Canada shouldn't exist like if mm-hmm. we want to we want true reconciliation we want to make this right we want to we want to live the way that you know mm-hmm. that is the right thing to do then we Sign need to eliminate yeah we need to eliminate Canada mm-hmm. entirely and that doesn't mean that we all have to get back on boats and go to Europe no necessarily uh, not my choice but <laughs> but that, that, back to it means that taking mm-hmm. seriously the idea of indigenous sovereignty and what that actually means for our systems yes well, some nations are not even signed into treaties, like Yeah. Right? So like mine is. Okay, so I'm I am a treaty Indian. Some people are not. They've yeah. never signed on to those treaties. Rightfully so. Yeah. They are they have been, you know they are a tool to marginalize. Right. Right? And the Indian Act is a whole another can of worms <laughs> that I can't even talk about yeah. right now because it's still called the it. Indian Act. It's still called the Indian Act. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I mean, terminology to me, I mean, the politically correct is indigenous at this sure. moment. Then it's like Aboriginal before that. Yeah. Aboriginal literally means non original. So yeah. that's probably the most offensive one. <laughs> yeah. um, I did not know that. That's what that meant. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's Indian, and then there's Native, and then there's, you know, like, all these Can other things. Can we start things. calling white people Aboriginal? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I figured that out, like, this was a long time ago, I figured that out, and I was like, that's abhorrent. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, a, that's the term that's still used in Australia, I believe, to describe Indigenous people. It's still, yeah. It's still Aboriginal. It's like the Aborigines. Term. Aborigines, yeah. 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 
That's the thing. This shit's not just happening here in Canada. It's happening in Australia. It's happening in New Zealand. Yeah. It's happening in Africa. It's happening in Palestine. Like this is not. This is not something that just happens here. And it looks it. The character might look different depending on where it is, but the project is the same project, and that project right. is you know colonialism capitalism yeah so i will say though that like no matter how many terms that people have had for indigenous people they're still never correct because our heritage like our identities change within kilometers okay yeah we are anishinaabe people we belong to certain nations we have you know we have names and we have like identities that are so specific that you can't necessarily call it one thing, yeah, right? Exactly. But Anishinaabe is the the like cultural collective of where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this covers like the North Shore roughly. Mm-hmm. So that would be to me the proper term mm-hmm. in this area. But again, this is like I don't know. Yeah. So what's just out of curiosity, what nation do you do you come from? So my my tribe is Ojibwe. Mishpacotten First Nation is my First Nation band. Okay, okay. so this is uh, part of Robinson Superior Treaty. I grew up north of Sault Ste. Marie. Okay. So that was my ancestral grounds. That's where I grew up. And yeah, I mean, I still play lots of bingo on, <laughs> online with my aunties, with my First Nation. It's a great time. But yeah, like, community is so important to Indigenous people. Yeah. And, you know, just should be important to being everybody. recognized. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because, you know, you're being here in Windsor. So uh, I've mentioned this story before, possibly on this podcast, but definitely publicly in other places where um, years ago I was brought onto this project of the university to assess whether or not the University of Windsor uh, had enough programs slash supports for Indigenous mm-hmm. students. Notably, I am white. So why I was the one who's brought on to do this, I, I remember bringing that up and being like, mm-hmm. should I be the one doing this? And there's like, we literally can't find anybody else to do it. Oh, no way. Which is it, which was an interesting thing at the time, but I was like, okay, whatever, I'll do it. So I did the study and then I presented it to mm-hmm. the board of governors at the university. And, you know, it turns out the University of Windsor is one of the worst in Canada for its like indigenous supports. Awesome. When was this? This would have been 2016-ish. Okay, because I know somebody who's in there right now. Yeah. Um, working with all the like... First Nations students, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Native students. But uh, yeah, I feel a, like she's been in there, mm, yeah, no, probably about six, seven years. So that yeah. makes sense. It was right around the time that the university was trying to amp up their, you know, like their supports and then recognizing that they were, they were behind. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, Windsor's behind. On everything. But on this, everything. Is, this is what I was going to bring up. So during <laughs> yeah. this Board of Governors meeting, when I was yeah. presenting my results, one of the white board of, boards of governor, board of governors members basically said like, well, you know, it's, it makes sense that Windsor would have less supports for this kind of stuff. There are fewer Indigenous people in this catchment. Why do you think that is? And that's exactly what, that's exactly <laughs> what the one Indigenous person, I don't want to name him just in case it gets him in shit, yeah. but the one Indigenous person who was sitting on the board hmm, said, that's just because you're more efficient at killing us. <laughs> and that was oh, in the middle of ex- a word of I love meeting. that they went there yeah. and that they weren't, yeah, good <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Though and exactly, it's, and so it's interesting because I think people yeah. don't really associate the the narrative. And this is this is a narrative. I mean, there's there's a local history book down here called The River and the Land, which mm-hmm. is interesting, as this, this podcast is called. But yeah, uh, that it talks about how like largely there wasn't very many Indigenous people down here, so it was like mm-hmm. totally different. Like white people have a right to be here because you know that is so not true. It's just not true. This is a hub. Exactly. This is literally on a river. Yeah. These are <laughs> hugely populated lands before. 
yeah. colonization. The local history doesn't says the opposite. Well, that there just that's wasn't bullshit. very many people just down here. Knows. Yeah. Yeah, and it, that's the thing is that we still perpetuate these myths that mm-hmm. well, you know, in Windsor Detroit's not so bad cuz yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I remember the the history books from when I was growing up like in elementary school it was all like the natives taught the white people how to live off the land and they were friends and they shared meals and I'm like and I'm reading this just knowing and I'm just like this is fucked like <laughs> yeah sitting here and reading this as a child and knowing you know that this is and not that's true. the thing like indigenous people know that this is bullshit yeah, right yeah, that's the exactly. thing it's not, it's not like they're also ignorant yeah, and like white but, people yeah I'm putting through this like I am being put through this school system that is telling me that nothing happened like we're all homies yeah yeah the thanksgiving <laughs> myth yeah 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 interesting that we're doing this right after american thanksgiving but yeah yeah so i think that's probably good unless there was was there anything else that you wanted to bring up kind of before we before we depart not really but i mean anything you want anything you want to plug locally like anything you want to like bring people's attention to anything like that well I would just really encourage people to educate themselves on this Mm -hmm. and to honestly just, you know, support the community, like support the native community as much as you can. Go to a powwow. It's not just for natives. Like it's open for everybody. Show up and see the culture. This Mm -hmm. is really, truly the culture of this land. And even if, I don't know. I feel like that's more of a summertime thing. But anyways, I actually just wanted to speak to indigenous people specifically too. We need to start taking up space in these in these institutions. And I know that it feels like you're an alien sometimes and that you don't belong there. But we need to force ourselves into these places in order to change these things. Right? We need to infiltrate, inspire, indigenize. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I don't think that there's going to be a solid, like there's, like there's no way that these Europeans are just going to pack up and leave, right? So in order to change some of these things, we need to take up space. Even if it's just taking up space, that's, that's doing something. If you're inspiring in those spaces, that's even better, mm-hmm. right? Because we need to bring some of our culture and some of our knowledge into these things in order to reverse these horrible things that are happening yeah perfect well yeah. well thank you so much for coming on and uh, i'm sure we'll have you back on yeah again please someday. come back yeah any, awesome. anytime okay, you want if you got, you got anything yeah. you want to talk about <laughs> like i'm feeling ranty today just yeah, let us know we even bring you on usually don't know what we're gonna cover half the time so yeah we're it like, really shit. helps really? <laughs> we're like talk yeah. about this oh man okay yeah. man i've got some ideas <laughs> right yeah anytime anytime please come back okay awesome. defeating the radical